If we want a company to grow, and if we want our company to grow, we need to, to do it together. It's not me giving instructions. It's so hard to build a re good reputation. It's so easy to lose it in one job. In the end, we're, we're problem solvers, right? What's up, what's up, everyone? This is Andre, and we are back with a new episode of the Localization Podcast. This one will be, yes, once again, an interview with a founder of an LSP. This time, I am joined by Patrick Martinez from Tradolingua, the founder and the CEO. In the first part of the interview, we're going to talk, as usually, about his childhood, what were his early interests, what does he think about education system and how he studied languages and translation? And finally, we're going to get into how and why he decided to start Tradolingua and more about his entrepreneurial mindset. So let's get right into the interview with Patrick from Tradolingua. I was, uh, so I was born in Spain, um, but when I was three years old, my parents moved to, uh, moved to France. So from the beginning, I, I think I've always had a, a very mixed background. Actually, it's, um, you know, it's funny when somebody asks me, where are you from? You know, because it's, uh, I'm, I'm French. My, my citizenship is, I'm, I'm, I'm a French national, but, um, but now I live in Spain. So. Uh, I couldn't tell, you know, if I'm more more Spanish or more French, but uh, I I enjoy uh, very much the uh, the Spanish culture and living in Spain. But uh, but yeah, so I was born in Spain, lived in France for my whole life until I was um, 18 years old, uh, 17 years old, then moved to moved back to Spain with with my parents, and uh, that's where I uh, I started my uh, my BA in uh, in translation here in Alicante. And, um, and yeah, and when I, when I finished my studies, well, I, I lived for a year in, uh, in Brussels and, and then moved to, uh, to the USA for, uh, three or four years, uh, back in 2001. Yeah. Hmm. Quite diverse places that you lived in, but, um, let me start with the, the early age. Do you remember, I assume you, you know why your parents moved to France at such an early age of yours? Yeah, my um, because my uh, my dad, um, you know, had to move to to France for for work. So so you know, I pretty much moved my, with my parents to uh, uh, to France. Actually, I was so, so my my whole family is is, uh, is French. So uh, my parent my parents were in, in in Spain at that moment. You know, just uh, just for work. So actually, I never had. The Spanish citizenship. I I was French from uh, from the beginning, well, as I, as I used to say. You know, it's uh, it, it's funny when when you ask someone where they're from, and you just have to look at you know um, uh, soccer here in uh, you know in Spain, France, and uh, when when the national team is playing, that's when that's when I realize I'm really French. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't you get hate for that? Uh, you know, depends where you are. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Um, so can you compare to me the cultures of France versus Spain? I think I have some idea about the Spanish culture. Um, I used to live very briefly in Barcelona, but I never been to France, especially for living. How would you compare the two cultures? 
Well, it's, um, you know, it's, it's tough to compare because there is different France's and different Spain's, if you put it in pro. Uh, so depending in, you know, if you're from the north of France, the south of France, maybe the south of France is going to be similar to uh, to Spain in terms of, of the culture, uh, very different from what's happening in the in the north of France. I would say the Spanish culture is much more uh, much more laid back, uh, much more you know um, enjoying social life um, at later times in in the day. I, I would say you know it's uh, when when you go to France maybe at seven p.m. eight p.m. you know. You see no one in the streets, and then when you go to Spain at seven p.m., it's the almost the beginning of the afternoon. So it's uh, so it's a uh, it's a much different uh, different culture in terms of you know, I think enjoying life, um, social life, uh, and being you know more laid back, uh, and and you can extend this to uh, to all um, aspects of life. I, I would say in uh, in Spain, you know, laid back in. Uh, in terms of you know my business, in terms of uh, you know um, the relationship with with others, social relationships. So it's yeah, I would say more laid back in in Spain, definitely. This actually brings me to our industry localization translation. Um, and I know I'm jumping a little bit forward, but I'm really curious about this. I never thought about this, you know, because I'm not Spanish, I'm not French. So that's why I ask you, like, how would you define the culture of Spain or France. And you said that there are kind of like microcultures within the country, right? So have you ever encountered some hyper, let's say local, hyper-local approach in localization where you would actually be translating or localizing for different regions, let's say within Spain or France differently, like where the companies would actually require LSPs uh, to, to localize in such an extent, or do we still think about, okay, it's Spain, let's translate for everyone in Spain, period? Well, if you, you know, if you, if you talk about Spain, as, as you may already know, there's, you know, different languages in Spain. Uh, it's not only the, uh, you know, Castilian Spanish, uh, you have, uh, Catalan, you have, uh, Valenciano, you have, you know, other, you know, Euskera in the north. I mean, you have different kind of languages, so obviously you would have to localize for these languages in case, in case needed. Um, I won't. I wouldn't see uh, this as much for uh, in France, um, uh, but in terms of our business, we don't do it that much. Uh, we pretty much work uh, into Spanish, you know, uh, or into French, but we don't work. Uh, I mean, we, we do sometimes. Uh, we do have some. Uh, uh, some jobs we do for uh, some governmental agencies where we we need to localize uh, into the local languages uh, very specifically, but it's it's not I would say the you know the main thing that that, that we do. But we do it, but it's it's not uh, uh, what we do most of the time. I would say. Mm. If you were to think about long term into the future, do you think this? would be a way to go forward like to really really respect the local cultures and the microcultures within a certain country because that's when you can best address the customer uh not for our business um so mainly what we do and and i know maybe we're, we're j- jumping forward into the you know the the nitty-gritty of uh of the conversation but it's 
so, so we mainly work with um, big corporations, um, legal field, uh, financial, uh, technical. We do some we do some some marketing for for big uh, fashion brands too. Um, so we do not work, I would say, as much locally as this uh, in terms of um, you know maybe. If you are an agency based in Barcelona and uh, you have many customers from Barcelona that use the uh, Catalan language and you have to work a lot in this uh, language, uh, uh, which is not the case for us. Uh, we, we, we do have some clients that from time to time require us to do it and we have the capacity to do it, but we, it's not something, it's definitely not something that, uh, you know, looking at the future, something that we, we we would want to do more or we would focus our efforts uh into because of the type of business we have that you know we're we're not so much local i mean we're we're based in alicante which is a uh you know medium sized town in the on the mediterranean coast and um but our customers are you know from all over the world uh pretty much europe uh and the us um, so, I mean, Europe, you know, continental, uh, also UK uh, and the US, some Latin American too, uh, uh, customers, uh, but so, you know, not that much um, so local that you would need to very, to have a very focalized uh, strategy in terms of uh, using the local languages. Right. I guess maybe, okay, I'll ask one more question about this topic and then we can go back to your childhood. Maybe I wasn't clear, but what I was thinking, if especially the big, you know, like corporate clients of yours, if they should at some point have this hyper local uh, approach of communicating to their customers instead of just, I don't know, having, I don't know, a Spanish branch of Apple or Microsoft, and then they ask you to translate into Spanish. Let's say, I don't know, in two, three years, they would be asking you to translate it into or even like transcreate or adapt the message for very different specific cultures within Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> now, now, I, now I, I can see where you're going. Um, yes, it's uh, it could be a strategy for them. Uh, moreover, um, I think there is um, uh, more and more in, I would say in Spain and, and other countries in Europe, uh, um, uh, local languages are, Getting more and more importance um, because people feel, uh, you know, that their their identity. It's not that they feel that their identity is is uh, linked to the language, to the local language. And uh, and yes, uh, obviously, um, some of the fashion brands we work with actually do it. Uh, so let's say they want to sell a specific, uh, you know, shoe in, uh, you know, and Catalonia uh, area, so they would have obviously to work and localize this, and we have we have actually done it. That's that's why I was saying that we do it for the clients who ask us uh, to do it. So we we have actually done it in the past. That uh, not only working into Castilian language, but also into the local um, into the local language, and also specifically uh, targeting uh, a specific uh, target audience with uh, with the localization. Perfect. <laughs> we got to it. Okay. What were you interested as a as a child? 
let's say around i don't know before you became a teenager so let's say around the age of your daughters what were you interested in back then uh what do you mean in like um my everyday what i like to do or school yes school wise and also outside of the school well it's, it's funny when i was uh when i was little my my goal you know when you ask a child you know what do you want to be when you grow up you know and uh I, I wanted to be a pilot, but I was, uh, but, uh, but it's funny because I was really not good at math. So, so I realized, you know, it was not the path for me. <laughs> so I really wanted to be a, a pilot, but my, you know, uh, my, my grades in math, uh, were not that good. So, uh, so then I, you know, I just evolved in, in into something, something different. <laughs> okay. But what about school? So if you were not good at math, what were you good at? What were you interested in subject-wise? I, I was very good in uh, languages. And that, I think that's, uh, that's really what's, uh, um, what set me aside. Um, so I was born, as, as I said, in, uh, in Spain. Uh, and then I grew up in France. But my, uh, my grandparents still live in Spain. So, so I spent my childhood uh, going from France to Spain, you know, spending summers and... Uh, uh, I guess I could consider myself bilingual uh, uh, since the beginning uh, with um, Spanish and, and French. And, and when I started, uh, you know, learning English as, uh, at school, I, I was pretty good at it. I was, you know, um, learning English very easily. Maybe back then I was not realizing that the fact that I was bilingual was helping me a lot to learn uh, maybe a second foreign language. And, um, you know, now looking back, I think that's, uh, that's really helped me. And also I was, um, uh, I was, um, well, I was, I would say I am a musician. So I played the, uh, the saxophone and I studied music from a very early age because my mom was a, a piano teacher. And, uh, and that's one of my theories about uh, the link between music and languages the fact that it's definitely something that helps you in terms of uh you know speaking english right now for instance without a french or not so much a french accent for me right now uh because i could speak with a french accent if you want you know <laughs> i'm not going to do it because i don't like it but i think that's that's my theory you know um the, the fact that you know learning uh you know music uh having that music ear it's gonna help you to, uh, you know, maybe to understand better the sounds or reproduce better the sounds when you uh, when you speak uh, a foreign language. Actually, when I speak French, well, obviously I'm, I'm French, I don't have accent, but but when I speak Spanish, you you can tell that I'm that I'm not uh, that I'm French. That you know, you would you would say that I'm, I'm Spanish. So, and that's my uh, my theory that the combination of language learning at a very early stage and, and music. It's something that, that helped me, but that's just my, you know, my, my theory. It's not uh, something that, well, I have, you know, I listened to a few podcasts that are uh, going the same, uh, the same path and uh, some people studied it and it looks like it's, uh, it's true, but uh, yeah. So, so back at school, I was, uh, I was much better in, you know, uh, languages and, uh, you know, French language, Spanish language and, and all of that uh, and not so much, you know, science. So that's, that's how I think I, I oriented my, my path in terms of um, studies. And, and when I finished high school, I, 
I decided to uh, to study languages through uh, doing a, a BA in, in translation in, in Spain. I'm still curious about the link between music and languages. Uh, it's the first time I hear this theory. <laughs> it's very, in, very interesting. Is it mostly about listening to songs in different languages and, and learning something from that? Or do you think it's really just about the music, I don't know, the pattern or the rhythm or the instruments. Like if I was just listening to classical music with no vocals, do you still think it would help me learn languages better? No, what, what I mean is, uh, you know, I've studied music since I was, uh, I would say five years old. So, uh, so studying music is studying different instruments, uh, learning how they sound, how they interact with each other, learning, you know, what, uh, what are the different, the different sounds, uh, you know, how to reproduce them. Um, so I've played, uh, I played jazz music, uh, which is for me the, you know, I would say the, the most advanced, uh, uh, music there is, but you know, maybe I'm, I'm biased, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, I would say it's not so much, you know, like, you know, that you like music and you listen to songs and everything. It's more about like a deeper understanding of how music works, how the sound work, how to identify the sounds, how to, to know, um, you know, how the different instruments, um, sound and everything. And I, and I, I really believe that it's, uh, it's something that is, that is linked actually during the, uh, the pandemic. Um, so, so I played at early age, uh, early age, uh, piano, and then I continued with, with saxophone. And uh, I had never played the guitar, for instance. And when the pandemic hit uh, and we were, you know, all of us, you know, staying home, I, I decided I was like, you know, let's, let's try the guitar. You know, it's a nice instrument. It's, you know, it's, uh, you can play at home. So I bought a guitar and I started, you know, learning how to play the guitar. And I learned to play the guitar like very, very easily. Why is that? And I linked it to the way that, you know, learning a different language when you know several languages is easier and pretty much the same. So we, I think there is definitely a link, you know, between learning different instruments as learning different languages, you know, because in the end it's communication, communication through music uh, with a different instrument. This is the way you would communicate differently through different languages. I know we're maybe jumping forward again, but when you were a professor, did you by any chance bring this theory to your students? And I'm not sure if you were actually teaching something related to translation or not, but... I, no, I have never brought that up. Well, I have mentioned it. I have mentioned it uh, in class, but I've never, you know, done any any studies regarding the uh, the link between music and, and, and language learning, which, but, you know, this would definitely be something very interesting to explore. But I'm sure, but I'm sure, you know... I'm, th I'm sure it's uh, you know something that has already been done. So I'm sure if if we we do some research, we'll find uh, we'll find some some studies about. It, I'm pretty sure. How do you use this theory or this tactic with your daughters? I assume since you're already kind of like bilingual and you also know English, um, did you start talking to them in different languages since the early age? Yeah, that that's something I was very. Uh, I was very disciplined uh, since the, the beginning. So we live in Spain and, uh, and from their very early age, uh, I only spoke French to them and to this day uh, also. So 
Um, so at home, they would, you know, speak French to me. I mean, I would speak French to them and then TV would only be in English. So all the cartoons and everything, uh, I've always been in, in English and at home and, and, uh, and, and it kind of worked because the, uh, the girls are, you know, now bilingual French and Spanish. Well, now they study in a, in a French school in, in Spain. Uh, but, uh, they haven't uh, done that since they uh, they started their um, academic education. Uh, they're only been there for like uh, been there for I think three years, four years. Uh, but they spoke French before, and uh, and also the tremendous effect of them only watching cartoons in English uh, really helped them. I think uh, you know learn the language, and and nowadays they, they can watch you know Disney movies in in, in English with without any problem. Mm-hmm. I have a stupid question. What if your parents are both, let's say, American, like they only speak English and you live in an English-speaking country? How can this kind of family that's, let's say, living in a mo- monolingual world uh, teach kids different language from the early age so it's natural? So it's not like I'm going to send my kid to a, to a class or to a private lesson but how can they learn naturally if they're only in the, let's say, English world? Well, first of all, I would say there's nothing wrong with learning language the other way, right? I mean, you can you can be fortunate and have an you know ecosystem around you which is bilingual or multilingual, which which is uh, uh, something to you know to very, to be very proud of, and uh, and people who have that are very lucky. But uh, my my wife, for instance, she didn't grow up in a um, you know in a multilingual environment, and she speaks French. She's Spanish. She speaks French, German, and English, you know, uh, fluently. So it's uh, I think uh, so. I would say it's much easier, obviously, because uh, the way you know bilingualism works is you don't translate, right? You learn the language. In the other language directly you learn the world excuse me in the, in the other language directly you don't learn that you know that this is a glass you just you know and in, in in french it's there and in in spanish it's basso no it's just you learn it in the different languages directly right so that what makes uh learning the language um easier but again you know uh learning languages uh is completely possible and have been you know obtaining a, a very high level without having this around you right right but i right but i would assume that it's maybe more efficient it's like more natural to learn the natural way like being in the world oh yeah yeah okay so we now know that you like languages and you're good at that how were you outside of the school especially when you were a teenager were you a troubled one or were you a nerdy type good boy i was a very bad boy according to my grandmother when i was five years old um uh, i have some uh you know some some pictures uh showing it uh but it looks like uh everything went went smoothly after that so i guess the uh you know the, the bad boy was in me until i was five six years old and then uh, <laughs> everything went uh went smoother uh, yeah so, so when i was so when i was a, a teenager one of the things i guess that really helped me learn English much better is I was an NBA fanatic, 
So I played basketball and, um, and back, you know, when we're talking in the, in the nineties, which now sounds like, uh, you know, <laughs> ancient times. Uh, so, you know, I would buy, uh, magazines, uh, NBA magazines in English, uh, you know, watch the games, uh, that my parents would record at night and I would watch it in the morning. And, uh, and, uh, and I think that's uh, also something that really helped me, you know, learn the language, the, the link also, which is very well documented and demonstrated that if you have, uh, an interest in, you know, learning language, being it, uh, you know, um, uh, hobby or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, uh, you know, that's going to help you learn the language. So that's, that's one of the things, um, that, that I did. So I was, I was, uh, a lot into, into sports. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was, I was a trouble, uh, trouble kid again, um, a good student. Um, I was, uh, really aware that I would have to, uh, to make my own, uh, my own path, uh, because, uh, so, so my parents didn't have, uh, much money for me to, you know, uh, studying up, you know, in a private university or send me abroad or, you know, send me abroad to learn English. So I had to learn English, uh, you know, in, in Spain. So, uh, in France. So, um, so yeah, so, so pretty much, um, I was very focused when I was a student, uh, knowing that, you know, me having good grades and, uh, and, uh, being a, a good student was, uh, maybe a condition for me to, uh, you know, to be successful in life. Interesting. Do you, do you still believe that good grades lead to good life? Like, do you apply this tech? No. Okay. No. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess when you're a teenager, you know, your parents tell you, you have to, you know, yes. you need to have good grades. But, yes. uh, but yeah, you know, it's, and, and, uh, and nowadays I, I would say that, you know, things have changed, uh, and things are changing very fast and, uh, and quickly. And, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously being a good student is something that's positive and, uh, and having good grades, is something that's positive and, uh, and, and because it means that you're learning and obtaining all the, the knowledge that, uh, the system wants you to have. Right. Uh, but um but i would say what makes you successful is having that learning process never end or never stop and uh i think that's that's great about the industry we're in uh is it's it's evolving so much it's uh it's changing so much so fast that you always have to be to be you know on top of what's happening and and that's also one of the things i like uh, about being an entrepreneur and also, you know, uh, teaching at university is because, you know, you're in touch of, with, with what's, what's happening in the academic world and in the professional world. And sometimes it helps you, uh, establish the link and, uh, and, and sometimes it's eye opening about what's, what's happening with, uh, uh, the training, for instance, of, uh, all the young people wanting to, become translators, uh, starting businesses in translation. Um, yeah. So, so, so when I teach my classes, actually, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, uh, I'm, I guess that's one of the things that my students like is, you know, I use a lot of examples of real life or of real, you know, uh, professional life, uh, in class of, you know, 
the, the do's and don'ts or, you know, mostly bad experiences that <laughs> you shouldn't do that. You know, uh, I made a mistake. Don't do it. Uh, so, yeah. Since you mentioned the education system, <clears throat> that things have changed. What would you like for your daughters to get out of the system? Let's say before they go into the um, higher education. So, you know, like primary, secondary school, what do you think should be the objective of these institutions right now? And what do you want for your daughters to get out of it? Well, obviously having, a, you know, the, the basic knowledge that, that you need to obtain, you know, in terms of what's the, the basic stuff that you need to know, right? Uh, math and, you know, learning how languages work and, and everything. But, and, but I would say most of all having that, you know, the uh, general cultural knowledge about the world and um, and f learning how to or, or obtaining the tools to know how to you know find your path. I think it's it's one of the most difficult things uh, for somebody that is studying at you know school or university even that to know where you know where it's where what is my goal right where's where am I going you know and 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 I think part of what they need to learn is, uh, you know, finding how to uh, how to find that path, and that's really something uh, only them can you know can do you know with with the help obviously of you know uh, of us with the experience and giving them the advice they uh, they need. Yeah. Do you think that parents or like do you would you fully rely on the system? Um, for it to show your kids, let's say the path or the goal in their life, or do you think it's like a mix of everything, like society, what they see on YouTube, you as a parent plus education system? Yeah, it's a mix. I mean, it's I, I would say it's it's obvious at this point, and 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 I maybe I'm a reflection of that. Um, you know, I I built two companies, and I don't have any kind of training in terms of being an entrepreneur. So, so I think uh, the learning and and I would say more and more comes from you know what's around you, uh, not only uh, the official institutions in terms of what you're going to learn uh, from from the world, how to do things, um, the train the the uh, the official institutions like university for instance i believe nowadays uh, and maybe i'm going to get a lot of criticism for saying this but it's it's way too slow it's way too slow in terms of you know catching up with what's going on in the outside world uh so it's one of the things i'm i'm fighting uh more and more in terms of you know trying to have um you know translation studies for instance you know reflect you know or help students to obtain the training they need to be able to face uh, what's outside. So, so really uh, getting the training and getting the, the ability to do whatever you want to do, uh, you are going to have to find that, uh, you know, path yourself, you know, and, and that's the great things about the time we're living. You know, you, you have so much training available, you know, being it, you know, private uh, universities or, uh, you know, uh, 
courses you can take online or, you know, uh, there's many, many options that can help you build whatever profile you need to, uh, to become what you want to become. When you said that the system is slow to adapt, I don't think you're going to get any critique from that because I think it's kind of like a general consensus. But what I'm interested in is that you are in the trenches, like you are the professor. Explaining to me from your perspective, why do you as a professor have problem to adapt? Like, are, is there like some bureaucracy that you need to go through if you want to make changes? Yes, because you, you need, I mean, you need to teach your classes, right? You have, you have a class that you teach, but you can add more subjects, for instance, to, um, to the BA in translation, which, which I would do, for instance, I would add, you know, project management and stuff like that. And, and uh, so you, you, you have the freedom, a certain freedom in your classroom, but you, but, you know, it's, it's a broader, I would say, change that, that need to happen sometimes. Okay. Let's go back to your studies of translation. What is the one thing that you still remember from the studies that you learned and that you apply even today? Um, so I would say when I studied translation, uh, it was, I would say, even more farther from reality than it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so it was a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of theory, um, about, you know, learning vocabulary lists of words and, uh, glossaries and, uh, but back then even, you know, uh, cat tools were like something that professor didn't know about. So it was so, so far from the reality that, uh, that really, uh, very few things that I learned when I was studying translation really helped me in the business, right? Not being obviously when I translated, yes, obviously, you know, uh, all the techniques and, uh, and everything were super useful. But in terms of, um, you know, the, uh, how a business works or how, uh, how, an, uh, how a translate, professional translator can interact with all the tools available back then, uh, was not something that I learned at the university. I was, uh, so I was fortunate, uh, that when I was in my second year going into third year at the university, my, so my, my dad is, is somebody who really likes to, you know, to talk to everybody and, you know, is a very social person. And one of my, our, so he found out that one of my neighbors, uh, where we were living, uh, when we were living back in, in Spain, uh, had a translation agency. And, um, so he introduced me to the person and, uh, he said, you know, uh, this person has a translation agency. Why, why don't you go, uh, and see them? So, so I was in my second year of university. So. So I go there and knock on the door, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm Patrick. Do you remember me? I'm your neighbor. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what, how are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Fine. You know, my dad told me you have a translation agency and, and I'm, I'm studying translation. So I'm very interested in, in, in the business. And, um, and I was like, you know, would you mind if I, so this was the beginning of the summer. Uh, so, so classes finish in June here, more or less May, June in Spain. So this, this was, in June, and, and I said, you know, would you mind if I just come every day and, and sit here and see what 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 you do here? And uh, 
and he was he was very very nice and he told me yes yeah, not no problem yes you can you can come every day and there is a chair here and you can you can sit down and you can you know look and see and what what's happening so so i started going every day and um the first days i was i was looking this you know the second week I'm, i don't remember exactly the timeline but you know the second week like you know here's a computer you know uh you can look at this document and um and then a few a few weeks later you know i started translating for them as uh I, I was not an intern because I was just there. I was I don't have I didn't have any <laughs> We're the neighbor. <laughs> any any title I was just the you know the the neighbor to studies translation. So so I just sat there and uh started working with them translating. I was uh I was fortunate enough that these guys were starting to use uh Tratus. So and they had a team from Tratus come to the office to give a training. So so uh I was part of that training. So uh so there, there I was. I started my third year of university, knowing more than my professors in terms of uh, of CAD tools and everything. And um, uh, so I continued working with them as as an intern. Then uh, on my third year of university, you know, they started to to give me small assignments. I would I would go there whenever I wanted because it was no no real uh, you know contract or anything between us. And and then in the in the end of the last year, they said, "Okay, let's you know, let's formalize this." And um, I started, you know, doing some translations for them and uh, being part of the, uh, pretty big, pretty big projects with them. And uh, and th that was my first contact with the translation industry. Uh, and I was, I think, I was very fortunate because I was in a very early stage in my training at university, doing a proper, without me knowing, a proper internship in a translation agency, which was willing to, uh, to invite me in. And, um, and nowadays, I, I'm, I'm still super thankful to Juan Carlos, who, who is the person who, uh, who invited me to, uh, uh, to stay there. And uh, we became great, great friends and, uh, and we're still in touch nowadays. And, uh, uh, and we still make fun of, uh, you know, control C, control V, you know, uh, copy paste and then stuff like that, that, that he told me on the, on the first day. So, so yeah, that's, that's the way, that's the way it started. And then from there, I, uh, I became a, a freelance translator. Wait, they didn't teach you control C, control V at the university? No. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Is Juan Carlos still in business? Yes, yes. So, so are you kind of like a competitors right now? No, no, we're not competitors. Uh, we're, you know, uh, fellow, uh, fellow business owners, I would say, you know, I'd say, you know, it's funny that the word, you know, competitors, uh, it's, um, I mean, we, you know, there's so many LSPs right around, uh, but there's so much demand too. Uh, we we're fortunate enough that we, we evolve in, uh, in an ecosystem where the demand is growing more and more and more and more. So there's a lot of work for, I would say for, for everyone. Um, and, and the fact that we all work internationally with the internet and being able to have a client from, you know, from Madrid, uh, Paris, Hong Kong, and New York, uh, you know, where is the competition really, you know? So, 
actually have I, I actually have a great relationship with many different uh, LSP owners, and it's uh, and it's it's very. I, I think it's very healthy uh, the way that we all exchange, uh, learn from each other. Um, you know, have the the freedom to ask for help, advice. You know, how would you do that? Have you heard about that? And uh, so I think it's it's something that's very positive. Now, let's get into the serious business, <laughs> or maybe not so serious. When did you first had the idea of starting your own business? I don't know. <laughs> the answer would be I, I I don't know. The 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 thing is when I uh, so what when I finished when I finished my uh, my BA, um, so I was a freelance translator. I was working freelance, and uh, so then I I wanted to improve my level of English. So I looked for uh, I want I wanted to go to the US. That was my that was my goal, and. Uh, so I was I was very lucky. I found a position in a in a prep school in New Jersey to become a French teacher. So so I moved to uh, to the south of New Jersey, like two hours south of uh, Philadelphia, and uh, and I started to work there as a as a French teacher. And but the the freelance the you know the freelance translation was always there. So I kept working as a as a freelance translator all the time. So I lived in the U.S. for three years. And I was working as a freelance translator. So when I came back to Spain, I continued to work. And some of my clients, one day, you know, uh, asked, you know, do you do translations into, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't remember the, you know, the, the exact language combination uh, into German. And I think I've always had in me the entrepreneur mind. So, uh, so one that, that's maybe one of my uh, effects is I don't say no. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I can do a translation to German, don't worry, you know. And you know, I found somebody uh, with with the different contacts that I had that could do a translation for me. And and slowly, like this, uh, I started acting as an LSP. I think that's probably you know the story behind. Uh, the the beginning of many many LSPs around the world. You know the story of the freelancer who you know starts a, a business because uh, everything grows beyond what the uh, the translator could uh, could do. So so I started you know uh, working like this, and then one client, second client, third client, and uh, and the business started to uh, started to grow, but without me really realizing I was a business owner. I don't know. I don't know if this makes sense. You know, I was a business, but it was, you know, it was maybe not big enough for me to consider it a business. Uh, you know, my employees, I was doing, you know, the freelance job, uh, you know, uh, on my own uh, until I would say the year maybe 2010 uh, when, when I started maybe growing more and more. Um, I started getting some, so I, I started working with, um, uh, with a law office that, uh, uh, that back then was starting to work, uh, on, um, you know, gaming, uh, the gaming industry. And, um, thanks to that, to that office, um, so we started to grow and the, the clients of that law office became our clients. 
and and the business started to grow uh, to grow like this, uh, working in one, two, three, four until like forty plus languages we are working today, establishing uh, you know a network of uh, trusted freelancers, uh, onboarding uh, project project managers, uh, you know uh, quality assurance people, and um, and that's the way uh, the business started to grow and 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 now. Now I realize I have a business. <laughs> Why did you think that you had an entrepreneurship mind? Because it became, well, I, it became as a natural thing. Uh, because not only did I start a translation business, I started a, another business at the same time when I returned from the US. Uh, I started a, a language experience uh, business in, in the US. Um, so it's, it's a different business that I started that is also, uh, flourishing today. Uh, it's a completely different business called Travelingua, And, um, and also I, I started this with, uh, with my wife. So both businesses really, you know, it's a, it's a co-founder, co, you know, established, uh, thing because we've, we've been doing both businesses, uh, hand in hand, uh, both of us. And, um, and I, I think, that's why I say that you know both businesses have been evolving quite a lot in the in the last uh, ten years and uh, and without any like entrepreneur pre pre entrepreneur mindset in terms of okay I'm going to do an MBA because I want to be an entrepreneur and I'm and then I'm going to come up with that idea and I'm going to develop it I'm going to find funding and blah 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 right. So it became more of a, of a natural thing that, that started to grow. Um, but, you know, the recipe, and for me, the recipe in my head was kind of clear, uh, you know, giving good service, not good, I mean, good, giving excellent service to the clients. And that was our, you know, uh, trademark. Uh, actually, the translation agency didn't have, and I'm a little, I'm a little bit ashamed of that, uh, but it didn't have a website until 2017. <laughs> yeah. So it only grew through recommendation. And, and, and even back then we had pretty big, I'm, I'm not going to name companies, but we had big companies as customers and it was all based on, on recommendation. And the name of the company was known, but uh, we didn't have any, any website and and then in and I think it was 2017 or 2018 I was I was like you know I, I need to have a website I mean I, it's I, I have such and such you know clients and you know we need to have a website so yeah so so we built the website and um, which is not the website we have today which is a, a brand new one we we did uh, our our uh, image uh, last year but uh, but yeah but uh, that's that's the way we that's the way we grew you know uh, would I do diff- things differently yes. Definitely. Yeah, maybe I would structure everything. Uh, I would give everything uh, maybe a, a more structured growth. But I'm happy with the growth we've had because it was a slow, slow growth, uh, which which I think uh, helps you learn in the process. You know, making a ton of mistakes, learning from them. Uh, sometimes doing the same mistake twice, and you realize, okay, I'm not going to do that. Th- you know, for a third time. <laughs> But uh, but I think that's the way to go. Uh, you know, quality. Uh, you know, excellent service and and growing, having a, a healthy a healthy growth in terms of 
you know, being able to manage the growth because sometimes uh, it's it's one of the it's one of actually one of the problems I'm facing today is having the businesses grow a lot in the last so so we've grown like 45 percent in the the last year which which is a pretty big growth for us and and managing such a big growth in such a short time can can become a challenge so um, so yeah. One quick question is, since you didn't have the website, how did people recommend you? Did they give to other people your email or was LinkedIn already just email? Yeah, just email. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, right? Crazy. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, right now, yeah. Like right now, the first thing I would do is just, you know, Google your company's name and see what you put out yourself. Well, the, the also the, you know, the, the niche uh, where we are, which which is basically, uh, you know, mainly big law firms uh, and also uh, big corporations. And it's funny because, and it's something that always amazed me is my contact person is normally the CEO of those, you know, big companies or uh, the managing partner of that big law firm. And even though there is Tradulingua, which is the name of uh, our LSP behind, they contact me, they contact Patrick. Right. It's it's always and in business, it's that's, uh, you know, uh, that's the way it works, I, I think. Or that's the way it works, you know, for me is it's a human relationship. And, uh, and and there's always behind a good business relation. There is a good human relation, you know, that needs to happen. If there is no connection, there is, you know, um, and we're not talking about liking each other, but there, there must be, you know, uh, a link uh something that happens that makes you uh work with with us or or not and and you know when we didn't have the website it was just you know email and phone call and you know maybe a visit and uh and yeah and and when you get a recommendation from you know if you are a law firm in germany and you get a recommendation from a law firm in uh in france that tells you you know we use this translation agency to do a tremendous work you know um if you have any project you can work with them you don't need a website. They're not going to go into your website or your LinkedIn. You know, that managing partner of that law firm, you know, is not going to get into uh, LinkedIn. It's just going to go with you because, you know, such and such, and such uh, you know, recommended your services. Do you think this recommendation is um, specific to the, to the legal sector that you're in? Or do you think it's like a general thing? Yeah, it's a general thing. Um, I would say... You know, I don't have numbers, you know, not the metrics, but uh, I would say 95, 98% of the clients we have nowadays all come from some kind of recommendation, right? And we have, you know, everything from, you know, um, you know, as I said, you know, law firm, big gaming companies, fashion brands, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies, uh, engineering, they all come from some kind of recommendation from someone else it's i mean we do have those clients that you know i have con like a cold contact from linkedin right hey you know, we do this would you be interested you know in talking and seeing how we can work together i mean this happens but it's uh i would say it's it's i mean for me my experience it's much more difficult than having obviously a direct recommendation from from another client or uh, somebody from, from the same industry. 
I'm not sure if you have this on your website, but I noticed this on your LinkedIn, you know, like the cover image that you have behind your thing. And it says the Tradolingua Professional Translation Services. And that's why I wanted to ask you, like, why is it just translation services? Why is it not localization? And now you're even telling me that you want to be even more than just, I don't know, translation or even localization services, right? Like you want to be partnered, like a multilingual partner, strategy partner, which to me makes perfect sense. So maybe it's just something that needs to be updated. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, in, in the end, you, uh, I guess you, you evolve, right? And that's, uh, that's something, uh, that's something that's so true for, you know, uh, on a personal level and the professional level and, and, and the business of translation evolves, right? And, uh, for some clients, you're obviously only a professional translation service provider. And you will always be this and you will never change, right? Because for them, that's, that's what you do. That's what you are, right? But for some, some other clients uh, who have maybe a better understanding of the strategic importance of multilingual communication and who, you know, uh, have a broader mind or are more accepting to different things and when they accept to listen to maybe advice or um, some other line of uh, services that you can provide then it's uh, uh, something that you can do so so yes yes I could I could change that When we come back, find out what Patrick considers an excellent service and what he thinks is important for the clients. Also, how to say no to your clients and how to recover from a reputation damage. What are the advantages of smaller LSPs over the big ones? And what is his leadership style and how he thinks of himself as the leader? Stay with us, I'm Andre, and you're listening to The Localization Podcast. Support for this podcast comes from Localization Academy, your gateway to mastering localization. Whether you're a newcomer exploring the industry or a seasoned pro ready for a career change, continuous learning is the key. At Localization Academy, we create accessible courses that enable you to gain practical knowledge, hands-on experience, and support from industry professionals. Discover your ideal career in localization today. Find out more about our current and upcoming courses at localizationacademy.com. Okay, going back to what you said before, that you always wanted to provide excellent service, and I guess that's the reason why you get recommended by the clients. What is the, the secret or what is what is what is the what is the reason for you to get recommended? How do you achieve excellent service? So the so there's one thing that's that needs to be there, and it's you know the product that we provide, which is the translation, right? The document or the you know whatever website or you know localization service, whatever. The quality of this needs to be top notch. So so this is a given, right? This I mean it's not something that's questionable. Um, uh, you know, when I introduce myself to 
a potential new client, it's, I don't give you a high quality translation. I give you perfect translation. That's what we try to do. Obviously, sometimes it's not going to be uh, easy. Maybe sometimes there's going to be errors. I mean, I'm not going to tell, you know, I'm not going to lie. Obviously, you know, and you know the business, right? Uh, uh, mistakes can be, can be made. Uh, but the, but the, the, the excellence is also in the service. So, uh, the availability, the adaptability to our clients' needs. I think this is something that's very, very valued by the, by our clients. Um, if, if we talk to, if we talk about, you know, the, the legal field, for instance, and, uh, you know, when, when we need to provide a translation and since we have such a, you know, such an experience in, you know, we work, for instance, with many compliance departments, right? From different companies and they have to, uh, to present their documentation to local authorities in different countries. And, and we do certified translations. Well, when, when a client tells me, okay, we need a certified translation for, you know, Malta, for instance, well, we know the way the regulator in Malta wants his translations, right? With a certain kind of certification, you know, written a certain way, and this is going to help you obtain your, you know, license or whatever you're, you know, you're requesting uh, faster and better without having the regulator, you know, ask you to change the document because it was not done the right way or anything. So, so that's one part of the, of the service that, that, that we do. And that's, in, you know, pretty much included in, in, in the service that we offer. But also, I would say our, you know, uh, project management needs to be, you know, top notch in terms of, uh, you know, answering emails, uh, you know, in less than 20 minutes, uh, you know, providing quotes uh, in less than 20 minutes. Uh, my clients all have my personal phone number um, in case there's an emergency weekend or, you know, if uh, Friday night we need a translation done by uh, Monday morning because we have this thing that has come up and we need this to happen, you know, I'm going to make it happen. And I'm going to have the team work on it during the weekend. I'm going to have translators in different time zones work on it and everything. And, and I think that's, that's the quality of the service. And, that's, and, and I think that reliability is key. The fact that the client knows if this problem they have, because in the end, we're, we're problem solvers, right? The client has a problem and I need this in that language done. How can I do it? And they know we're going to solve that problem. They know we we're going to take care of it. And it's gonna the quality in the end. It's gonna be it's it's gonna be good, and the service, uh, you know, in the process is is good as well. So I think I think that's one of the uh, that's that's one of the key the key components. I completely understand the benefit for the client, like this almost like a twenty four seven availability to handle their requests. But how do you, as a maybe team leader? explain this to your employees and even to the freelancers because not everybody wants to be working on a weekend or on rush projects well this doesn't happen you know this doesn't happen every weekend right i mean we we don't we don't have this kind of need every weekend i mean it happens now and then right it's not every weekend but when it happens uh the team knows and, and that's that's also the reason why right it's it doesn't happen like every you know every weekend or every month even, right? But it's, sometimes it does happen. Sometimes we have, you know, uh, a big project or, uh, you know, 
and some clients from certain countries that are, you know, uh, that deal with things differently. I'm not going to name any, any client or any country, uh, but some, you know, some countries have a different culture in terms of deadlines, right? I will send you the documents Friday, 2 PM, right? And comes Friday, 8 PM. Hey, you haven't sent me the document you needed to translate. That was so urgent, right? That was for Tuesday. And then they send it to you 8 PM on Friday and they want it Monday, 9 AM. Right. And you're like, but are you crazy or what? But, but the client needs it. Right. What am I going to sell? What am I, what am I going to tell him? It's, it, I can't do it. I mean, they, they need it. We will have to do our best to make it happen. Obviously, sometimes it's impossible. Sometimes I just, and that's, that's another thing that there is an, sometimes there's an education that needs to happen with the client. Okay. If, if you are a lawyer, it took you a month to write that contract. You know, don't expect me to translate it perfectly for you in two hours, right? It's because it's not going to happen. I mean, two hours, two days. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen. So there's an education that needs to, that needs to happen. But sometimes when, when there is an urgency and it's, uh, you know, it's a tender that they need to present the documentation to, or they, it's, it's something that, that, uh, that we work with. But again, it's not every weekend. It's not, you know, even every month, but it's, it's something that's, that's there. And that when a client needs it, it leaves an impact, I think on, you know, okay, they, they saved me for that, you know, for that project, you know, I know, uh, we can rely on them. Have you ever said no to a client? And maybe I should clarify this. Um, cause I know that initially you said that you can't say no, or you couldn't say no back in the days. That's, that's how your business started. Um, have you ever said no to a, let's say potential client, like for some reason you didn't see them a good fit? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. To potential clients and to, and to actual clients. I mean, sometimes you, you have to, uh, you know, you have to say no and you, and, and, and again, it goes back to educating your client to what can be done, what cannot be done. And, and also one of the things that's crystal clear for our team is, um, our reputation is on the line every day with every translation. It's so hard to build a good reputation. It's so easy to lose it in one job. Right. So, so for us, it's clear that, you know, we always do our best to, uh, to accommodate deadlines, uh, crazy deadlines, crazy projects. But when it's not possible, we will tell the client and our clients know then that when it's a no, it's, it's not doable, that nobody else is going to be able to do it. And if they do it, you know, outside, uh, it's, it's going to be very hard, very hard. So, so yes. Yeah, so, so we say no, uh, we say no to clients. That's, that's for sure. And, and clients that, and potential clients that we've said no to. Yes. Yes, we have. I mean, the client needs to be obviously a good fit for us in terms of, you know, obviously financials, um, way of working, you know, accepting our rates. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. Did you ever have to face a challenge or a risk to your reputation because of some project? Um, what do you mean? Elaborate a bit more on your question. 
like, I don't know, maybe one of your project managers or some of the translators messed up really bad and you really felt like you might not only, let's say, lose a client, but it might also cascade into your reputation going down. Yes, obviously. Yes, we, I mean, it's had, I mean, we've, we had uh, glitches in the past uh, and, you know, it, it, it can happen again. I mean, you know, we're, we're dealing with, and then when we're talking about, you know, human translation, uh, mistakes can happen. Um, I mean, now it's, it's harder for it to happen because we have so many filters of quality control uh, that, um, that it's more difficult to happen than in the past. Uh, but maybe in the past, and I'm talking about maybe, you know, uh, 12 years ago or something like that, that we didn't have so many, you know, uh, filters and, and, uh, and it could happen, but, you know, in the last five years, yes, we've, you know, uh, we've made maybe one, uh, with one of our big clients, we, we made a big mistake in one of the translations because, you know, it was super urgent. Uh, we didn't have time to proofread enough and, uh, and it was a big mistake and, and yeah. And, and the whole reputation, as I was saying, just went, uh, uh, went down just through one, one job. And it took us a long time to to recover, and um, we're we're back uh, stronger stronger than before. And uh, but but it's it's tough, you know, it's tough, it's tough when you uh, when you lose your reputation and just just for one job. So it's uh, but it can happen, yeah, it can happen. But you learn from your mistakes, you know, and and you learn to say to say no because maybe. If you would have said no to that job, it would not have happened. So, uh, so you know, you you grow, uh, you grow as a as a company, you grow as a you know uh, as a you know managing person of the company, and, uh, and 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 you learn you know where to where to accept or not accept or how to uh, to educate the client because maybe the client wants this in you know two days. And you have to tell them, no, it, this is not possible. If you want it, I can do it, but you'll have it in four days, right? And you, you, you risk, you risk the client saying, okay, no worries, I will find something, something uh, outside. So, so be it. But the experience has told us uh, that the the, the quality is what the clients are looking for. I mean, we one of, one of the best, uh, one of the best stories I have. Uh, as an example of this is we had a, we had a very, very big client, uh, that we worked with for many years, uh, that, um, decided to, uh, you know, uh, to do an RFP for the translation, uh, services for the whole company. And, uh, so we participated, but we lost it because we were too small. Right. So one of the big, you know, we're talking about huge names in the industry won that tender and that was a year ago and I was I was you know I was crushed I mean on a personal level because it was not that we stopped working with them because we did a poor job I mean I had the whole team of the big company you know coming to me and telling me you know we're so sad that you're we're going to stop working with you because you guys are doing a, you know a great job and and I was you know it took me quite a long time to recover <laughs> one year ago and uh and uh, just you know maybe two, three weeks ago, uh, they came back and they said, we want to 
you know, would you be willing to work with us again, please? <laughs> so, uh, and and I was that was uh, that was such a you know uh, such a fulfilling experience, you know, going you know like down and and up, you know, and but I, you know it's the the path is is so uh, and that's what we we're talking about at the beginning of our conversation, you know, enjoying enjoying the moment and um, what happened when we lost that client a year ago is we started to uh, to go out looking for new clients and we and we grew a lot since uh, you know that moment last year and maybe you know if we hadn't lost that tender uh, we wouldn't have made all those moves and uh, and uh, started to uh, uh, to go for clients and uh, and improving some of our internal processes and and so forth so you know everything happens for a reason I guess if I can go back to the case where you mentioned about the reputation hit, you said that you recovered from that. Are we talking about recovering your reputation within the same client? Or you mean like you lost the client and then you had to recover your reputation as a whole company towards the rest of the world? The same client, the same client, which is harder, I think. Um, because, uh, you know, we, we had to... M- to have them understand that, you know, this was a glitch that, you know, yes, it was a mistake, uh, but it was not a representation of the way we do work and the way, you know, 99.9% of the rest of the jobs we did for you in the last 10 years, you know. Um, so we're talking about a client that's, who's, you know, very strict and the quality really needs to be, uh, you know, excellent. And uh, and we do understand uh, the reason why, and uh, and and you know we were I, I wouldn't say maybe, you know lucky is not the world, but uh, you know we explained it to them in a way that they understood. Um, and also it was you know uh, when we came back because we lost our client, our client was gone, no more work with them, and it was a big part of our revenue. But uh, but when they when they said, "Okay, you know, let's let's give it another try," and little by little, uh, we rebuilt this uh, uh, this reputation, this this trust, and uh, and um, and today, I think it it would be even, I think it's I think it's like double or triple what we did with them uh, in the past. So, is there something else that you can do to recover the reputation? Besides what you mentioned, like explaining and then second, just consistently delivering excellence. Is there something else or do you think these are like the two key factors? Let's say communication and consistent excellence. Um, I would say that's it. I mean, because I mean, it, it will depend, right? It will depend if it's a client you've worked with in the past for many years that knows you. If it's a new client, it's a new job and you, you know, it's the first job he gives you and you you do a total mess on that first job and then you're, you know, you're just gone. I mean, it's, it really is going to, to depend on, on the, uh, on the type of client you're, you're working with. I have another question that just came to my mind. Um, you can choose to not answer it. The, the example that you gave us where you where one of the clients uh, made an RFP and then they decided to go with a, with a big player and then eventually they came to you. Uh, why do you think they they did it, or 
if I could generalize it, maybe why do you think um, or how can smaller LSPs win over the big ones? It's a, it's a tough one. It's, and it's a question that I, that I you know, uh, I know the answer because I was given the answer and it was risk, right? Uh, the, uh, the big company didn't want to risk to trust us as a smaller, uh, small LSP with all their translation business, which, which, which is, you know, enormous. Uh, so, so they went with another company because um, I think they pretty much looked at, you know, their revenue, our revenue, because we had to show pretty much everything. And, and they realized, you know, um, they couldn't, they couldn't go with us uh, because of, um, because of the, uh, the size of our company, because, you know, in terms of, you know, pricing and everything, um, recommendation from internal departments, uh, which was there also, uh, did not, um, you know, in, in the, in the end, the, the other company was, uh, I think, uh, chosen over the risk pr pretty much the risk of, uh, you know, working with a smaller LSP. Yeah. And it's a tough, and it's a tough, uh, it's a tough universe when you're going to, you know, fight for an, uh, an RFP and you have all these big, uh, you know, we're talking about the huge ones, right? Uh, we're not going to uh, name any name, but we know, we know, you know, the few ones are over there. And I mean, it's, it's very difficult to, you know, to fight uh, when you're a smaller LSP. Because you can, and the the reason why they came back is, I think, uh, also you know, we know because it's it's because of the quality and everything. But uh, but also I think that what a smaller LSP can offer, uh, I think it's key for many clients. And what is that? Is for me, this big corporation is not just another big corporation. That maybe for that bigger LSP they have like a hundred, right? For me, you're you're my you know you're my you know my star. You're my number one, right? And I'm gonna be there for you, and I'm gonna you know do whatever it takes to deliver a good quality service. And and I think that's the way smaller LSPs can fight. And it's giving this you know this adaptability, this you know tailor made service. Uh, adapting to your internal processes, you know, you need a PO, uh, you need me to accept a PO, you need me to whatever, you know, I'm going to adapt because I'm going to give you that service. With the other uh, big LSPs, they have their set systems, huge, you know, hundreds of project managers and, you know, and it's, it's, it's in the end, it's a, it's a big animal that's hard to adapt to uh, the circumstances, so so I think that the the uh, the advantage that smaller LSPs have in these uh, in these cases is being able to 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 adapt and giving the uh, the person that you have inside because uh, on the other side because let's not forget that those big corporations you know uh, it's the person you have in front of you right it's a it's a big name but in the end it's your you know procurement person it's the you know legal uh, uh the legal director it's the you know marketing director is is one person that you have in front of you so so again it's that human connection i think that's uh 
that's there. And also uh, what I feel uh, with the size we have is these you know, law firms, uh, companies, smaller or bigger, they really like dealing uh, with the owner of the company, which this is not going to happen with a bigger LSP or maybe not always, right? So, uh, so I think that's, I mean, we, we have many, many advantages. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's get the message out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to something different. We talked about the excellent service already, and I can assume that it's kind of like a part of your maybe culture or your values, something that you try to, you know, transfer to your employees. What are the other things that form your culture and where did that culture come from well you know we i think we've we've mentioned a lot of a lot of it already in the you know in the conversation you know the uh the not only providing a translation service i think it's it's one of the realization for me in the last uh in the last years uh you know getting to know getting to know the clients getting to know what they do the projects uh they're in i think that's uh that's one of the keys um, the service that that you're providing. So, so the excellence, obviously, is something that you know anybody is after, right? I mean, if you if you have a company, I mean, in your podcast, you want to, you know, you have you want to to do it as best as you can, right? And it, and and everybody wants to do it this way. I think that's no uh, that's no mystery. But in the end, I think what's key is you know that. Becoming, uh, you know, that that strategic multilingual partner with the client, you know, uh, being part of or trying to being part, and not all the clients want that, right? Uh, as I said, and that was your question before about the, you know, the professional translation services. You know, for some clients, you're just a translation provider, which is perfect, and and they love it, and that's that's what I need, that's what I get, that's it, right? But for others, it's it's something else. M- maybe for others, it's going to be. The same thing, it's also going to be a translation service, you know, because the product is going to be the same, but they let us, you know, become more of that project, right? You know, following up and, uh, you know, for, for us, it's it's uh, it's great to see, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the marketing campaign of, uh, uh, of a fashion brand, you know, uh, go live in Italy and see that, you know, we're behind that. I mean, it's cool feeling, you know, because you you see you see what is uh, what is happening, and uh, I think that's that's the beauty of of what we do. As uh, I mean, sometimes you just translate a contract, and you don't see what uh, <laughs> you don't see the impact. But when when you have you know one of those uh, you know marketing campaigns, or uh, or a client has obtained a, uh, as one on uh, you know a tender uh, was awarded a tender, or you know. Uh, want a case or, you know, and, and you see in LinkedIn and you say, wow, that's, that's great because, you know, that's, you know, we, we had our little part in that, which, which, which is not little, which, which is big, but we can't see it. <laughs> but maybe, maybe I should have been more clear. I meant mm, like, what is your culture when it comes to like the team inside Tradolingua? Like, not like what you maybe do for the clients, but within the team, like, like I assume I can only assume based on my experience and based on what I interviewed with, with other people, you know, like the culture is, especially for smaller companies is a lot based on 
what the founder's values are. So was that like that in your case, or do you even like think about company culture when I'm, let's say, applying for a job? What would you say is your company culture? Like, how would I be, I don't know, treated? How do you like to operate? What kind of people you like to work with? Uh, it's you know we we have a small uh, we have a small team uh, so uh, so right now it's uh, it's a team of uh, four people four five depending on the time of the time of the year and the um, and the amount of work we have uh, so right now we're all remote um, so we closed our office with the pandemic and we have not reopened again uh, because it's working um, everybody's happy working from home and uh, and it's and it's And I would say that's the tough part of the culture of the company, right? It's uh, everybody, so we, we don't have an office where you could, you know, be together, grab a coffee and, and talk about your day. Uh, we do that. Uh, we do that remote. Um, we do get together uh, from uh, from time to time to, uh, you know, to do a company, uh, you know, team buildings and, and stuff like that. But we don't... Um, When we, you know, as you said, when, when you hire, when you hire someone, uh, when I hire someone, I hire more. I would say on, um, well, obviously you need to have the qualifications and and everything, right? I mean that's uh, that's uh, that's a given. But also with this connection that you you might have with with the person, uh, I think for me is is key. But in terms in terms of uh, of culture, uh, it's You know all the things that we mentioned before are really embedded in into what everybody is doing in the company. So uh, everybody really believes in this need of you know uh, providing an excellent service, of this need of knowing what's going on, you know, behind that translation that we're, we're providing. You know about what is the the result. Of this translation, what's the result of my of my job of my work? Right, I've been managing this project. I've given this translation to the client. What's happening afterwards? Right, it's not only a, an invoice that's being paid. It's what's happening behind, and that's and that's something that um, maybe it's not written, but it's something that we do every day. Uh, it's something that we talk about every day, uh, and that's something that's highly important for us. So, so I would say it goes hand to hand with with what we said before. In terms of the, the internal culture and the external culture, what uh, what you were asking is uh, is really you know this uh, this quality in the service that we provide, this never ending of learning also, which is really key for for the team, uh, the, the training, the learning about you know all that's uh, all that's happening uh, outside of well in in the in the language industry, uh, but more new. Uh, you know, as AI and and so forth. I guess you will uh, you will get to that topic later, probably. I don't know. <laughs> well, since you touched on it, I mean, I, I didn't put it there. I didn't think about it, but I mean, okay, if we're talking about it. But there is actually one thing that I wanted to ask, um, which is related to what we were just talking about, since we were mentioning the word excellence before. Do you think you are an excellent leader? To your team, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. I would say I'm a, I'm a leader in process, right? In progress, in progress. Uh, I mean, you, you make mistakes every day, right? 
and uh, and you learn every day. Um, I consider myself more a team leader, team uh, a team member than a team leader. Uh, so I'm obviously I'm the head of the company. Um, mostly what I do nowadays is business development. Uh, I don't uh, I don't manage projects or you know deal with clients. Uh, except when there's like you know a huge project or we need to you know to talk about uh, financials of big projects or you know uh, very tight deadlines where the team really needs my input in terms of you know how should we proceed. Uh, but I'm more I'm, I'm I consider myself more a team member most definitely. Um, I don't like I don't like the word the boss right. I'm, I don't like that. Uh, uh, because we, uh, it's one of, one of the things that we, we write often is, uh, you know, uh, teamwork makes the dream work. And it's, you know, it's something that's really everywhere, but it's the truth. I mean, in the end, uh, it's the, the, if we want a company to grow and if we want our company to grow, we need to, to do it together. Um, it's not me giving instructions. Uh, and actually what I really like to do is getting my team's input about, you know, even an email I need to send to a big client. What do you think? Right. Check, check my, uh, check my draft. What do you think about it? You know, and, and that's, that's something that I really like, uh, you know, relying on, on, uh, on the rest of the team in, uh, in some, in some aspects, obviously I, you know, somebody needs to be, uh, to be on top and, and be, and be the leader and, you know, and, and, uh, and lead the path. To, to where the company is going, that's what I do. But on the day-to-day operations, I'm, I'm more uh, I'm more of a team team member. Absolutely, yes. So speaking of where the company is going, what is the future of Tradulingua? Well, it's um, right now. It's um, so so we've we've grown quite a lot in the in the last the last year. I would say um, our goal is is to uh, obviously to to keep growing. I don't. My goal is to is not like to become like the best, like the biggest LSP and whatever. Um, I don't know if I want that. Um, I really, I really like to enjoy life, um, and I, I strongly believe. So I have two companies already, um, and and uh, and I know that to grow is is also uh, something that's that's difficult in many uh, different aspects. So. So my goal right now is to to keep that steady growth that we have right now, um, and uh, and pretty much you know keeping our trying or doing our best to keep uh, doing the things the way we do them for our our clients. Um, I I, don't, I wouldn't want those things to die in the process or or to uh, you know to have uh, our quality in service uh, you know. Uh, diminish because we're going bigger and we have more clients and we, you know, so, so pretty much having a steady growth would be uh, the goal in the near, in the near future. Have you actually quantified that goal, like in some sort of a percentage, like by how much you want to grow this yeah. year? Yeah. 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 I mean, we grew, we grew 45% last year, which, uh, which is pretty, pretty good. Uh, we're, we're aiming at 35 for, for this year. Which we are right now on a good on a good path, so that's that's good. So you mentioned that you like to ask for input from your team. 
So what did your team say about ChatGPT? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that I I so that most of the people are scared about it in our industry. Uh, but for me, it's uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. Uh, it's I think it's such I think it's such a big opportunity for uh, for us as an industry to adapt. I think we are the industry where with this chat GPT and AI is going to have the most impact, right? Uh, you know, language, you know, in general. So, uh, so sometimes you have to manage, you know, the, the way people think and, 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 and tell them, okay, it's there, but it's not a bad thing. You know, it's, uh, you know, when, Cattles emerged. You know, many translators were like, "Oh, this is going to replace us," and blah blah blah. And it, you know, it didn't. It's a tool, right? So, so I think uh, there's many different opportunities that are going to arise through ChatGPT and AI in general. Uh, we have some ideas already of things that we want to implement in the near future. Uh, different business ideas. We'll see. You know, which which ones uh, flourish. But there's many, many different things you can know, uh, you can now do with uh, with ChatGPT, with with AI, you know, being, you know, summarization, content creation, uh, you know, you name it. So there's there's many different things. But I think the key here is going to be the adaptability. Uh, if if you don't adapt to these new technologies, and we've seen already, we, we we've seen it already. We we have one client in particular that has already told us that. Uh, but inside the team, so it's a, it's a big company and it's on their team. They have noticed that more and more of their, uh, team members are using, uh, chat GPT to create content in the target language instead of, uh, requesting a translation, you know? So, so there's, there's many different things that are already happening. I think it's, uh, the, the things that are happening are going to happen much faster than one we that than what we we've experienced in the past with with cat tools or you know when we started to see uh, you know MT emerging and uh, I think it's it's gonna it's gonna happen faster uh, but but I think I think it's uh, it's a tremendous opportunity for you know for new business ideas new uh, new projects uh, new uh, new services we can provide to to our clients. Final set of questions. What are you curious about right now? And maybe let's say besides ChatGPT, and this could be anything, whether it's about our industry or work-related or even completely outside of work. What are you just curious about? Uh, right now, it's one of my, I know obsessions is not, is not, a, is not a good word, but it's is automatization of process. Uh, so it's... Uh, it's one of the things uh, that I think uh, when you grow a business are key. Uh, uh, we we've done it already. We have uh, we have many different processes in place. But right now, my you know, besides the business development, uh, what I do with with the different businesses I have is is this automatization of uh, of process, which. Uh, uh, which is super important. We have the tools. We have amazing tools uh, uh, that we can use to, you know, nowadays. 
in terms of not only you know project management but um you know uh client management um you know uh marketing um uh, you know emailing uh you know tracking when somebody gets into your website you know what they look at you know if it's company it's in the company uh, i mean you, you have you have many many things that you can do and uh and the possibilities are are endless and uh and the possibilities are growing more and more uh thanks to uh ai which can help you uh with many different processes so that's one of the things that right now i'm i'm working on what is the latest automation that you implemented that kind of like got you excited like you were thinking like yeah like now we're going to save a lot of lot of time Oh, well, you know, if, if, if you talk about marketing, uh, is, uh, you know, the, the website tracking and, uh, this with, connected with the CRM, you know, when, when somebody enters your website, fills up the form, uh, you know, we have all the information about, uh, the person who enters the website, you know, which, uh, which part of the website they've, they've been at, you know, if they're clicked, if they have clicked, if they have not clicked, you know, uh, how long they've stayed in that page and if they stay for, you know, so many different minutes in the legal translation, then you will receive, you know, a newsletter about legal translation. And if you're a company and uh, your company is into marketing, you're going to receive uh, so different email automations that are going to that are going to help uh, in terms of um, marketing and uh, and attracting new new clients. So that's that's one of the things that are uh, very interesting, you know, having uh, uh, this this customer journey or this lead journey uh, that you can um, that you can build, which is super interesting and uh, fascinating. Uh, what <laughs> the kind of data you can uh, you can play with? You said very recently that you like to enjoy life. Does this mean to you, or is this related to work life balance for you, or does it have a completely different meaning? To you? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, for me, uh, so I really love what I do on a day to day. So I, I love my job. I, I really like what I do, you know, uh, the business development that the different businesses, um, I really like what I do. But for me, uh, the work life balance is, is key. So, you know, I, I pick up my girls every day at school. Um, that's non-negotiable. Um, you know, I, I train several times a week. Um, you know, I started, I, I started something, uh, which is very surprising to people. I started beekeeping two years ago. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine you wearing that suit. You were, you were not expecting that, right? No, no. (laughs) I, I have a note, like when we first met that you are like a surfer, and now beekeeping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I started beekeeping a couple of years ago, uh, so I have a, a few beehives in the in the mountains. Why? There. Why? Why did you start that? Uh, it's a uh, it's a world that have always uh, interested me, uh, the worlds of uh, of bees, and uh, it's very relaxing. So, um, so the place where I have my uh, my bees is in the mountain, in the middle of nowhere. There's no reception there, so uh, so, if, so if something happens to me. <laughs> Nobody can know, but uh, but yeah, when I'm there, there's no there's no cell phone, there's no so it's you know you just free your mind and uh, it's it's nice. I really I think it's bees are very important for the world, and then you know uh, having your own uh, your own honey 
propolis and everything is uh it's something very very nice to have so so yeah it's 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 one of the things i do and then you know from time to time i think it's it's important to enjoy life like uh you know uh tomorrow i'm going on a four-day no reception surf trip for instance uh, just to you know uh disconnect from from everything and i think sometimes it's important when uh, when you when you live in such a you know busy world and uh you know when you own a, a business or businesses you never disconnect i mean this you know this is like the object of the the evil you know it's i'm connected all the time and uh, and so but because i like it right i mean it's it's hard sometimes to to, to disconnect when you have your business when you created it and it's like your it's like your baby so you uh, you want to there's work never stops i could you know when as i say to some of my friends i could sit here forever you know getting food through a tube and uh and and and, and never never stop because and when you're an entrepreneur you have projects that you want to start to develop and you can you can never stop so so i think sometimes it's it's important to just to just stop and uh, and realize first of all what you have, you know, and uh, and give thanks to you know whatever belief you have, and uh, give thanks to life to you know to what you have, you know, uh, businesses that are working well, family, you know, children, you know, health, and um, and just hit pause and and enjoy the moment. I think it's. Uh, for me, it's uh, it's it's really key to uh, to do it, and you don't need to go. You know, you can go on a walk with your dog uh, with no cell phone and, and do that. So it's uh, it's something that's uh, that's really important for for my day to day, really, and, and it gives sense to to what I do. Because if you only work for money or success, I think is these are the wrong uh, the wrong motives. So so that's why when you ask, you know, what's the goal for the future? Traduolingua is just you know keep doing what we do, keep growing the way we're growing, and you know not having you know not becoming like the multi-million you know you know uh, having like a fifteen million euros in revenue. I mean that's that's not my goal. If it happens, great, right? But it's it's not a goal that is set in the in in the near future. I mean for me it's it's uh, it's more being able to keep this this balance. What is something that people seem to misunderstand about you? I would say what I just explained. I would say that maybe people think that that I do things for the wrong reasons, right? Uh, because I'm so involved with the business, uh, you could, you know, from outside uh, think that you do it for, you know. Um, for the money only for the, you know, uh, the success or the, you know, so, so I would say that's, that's one of the misunderstanding, you know, it's just, uh, being involved in what you do, uh, or in my case, being involved in what I do, being so much involved in what I do is, is just because I love doing it. Uh, and also because it's a mean for me to being able to keep that, uh, lifestyle that I, that I have right now. My notorious question, what do you think is wrong with our industry? Oh, um, I think, and I am maybe talking about more about the Spanish market, uh, is uh, the way translation services don't have the importance that they should have. 
right? So, so we have many clients, and this happens more in Spain than in other countries that we work with. Uh, they just uh, clients that would contact you and just focus on the cost of the service. I would not consider, you know, the importance of the quality of the translation, the quality of the service. Uh, so it's just a, a question of, you know, uh, how important is for you the multilingual communication or content, or what's the uh, the importance in the success of your project of the multilingual content? And the answer to this is huge. So the importance is huge because you don't have if your website is not well translated, if your contract has a mistake, uh, or if you know things don't go through. But you know it looks like that's the sensation that I have. Sometimes some companies don't realize the importance or relevance of of, uh, of the translation services in their success, and it seems like this is happening more in in Spain than in other countries, uh, or that's my experience at least. Um, we do have clients from, as I said, from you know all over Europe. I would say more clients from outside Spain than in Spain. That's that's what we do. Uh, but the experience that we've had is is this that sometimes um, clients don't don't give the importance to the translation service that it, it should have. Why do you think it's like that? I don't know. I think um, you know. I think it's just not realizing that the the international or the multilingual part of uh, of my business or the way or the the writing or the editing of content uh, of multilingual content is you know easy. You know, my secretary could do it, and and now with all the you know ai and mt this problem is going to be much worse because you know i could you know put my content into google translator or dpal and and get the result why do i need a translation company that's going to charge me money to do it if i can get it for free or almost for free right so sometimes it's kind of hard to educate the client and if you you know and sometimes you don't even try you just you know you want to go with it go with it and let's you know and let's see what happens you know eventually you will come back to us because of a bad experience because we've had clients like this we've had clients come back to us that you know translated their contract with you know we have a very funny story with you know a client who had to reprint uh 200,000 tags on a product because they used google translate no, a translation that maybe would have cost what, like fifteen euros, fifteen euros, and it cost them. Uh, they told me like around fifty thousand euros, something like that. And you know that's the perfect example, you know, of you know not giving the the importance because it's not in in here. This this particular example, it's not even the cost because you know translating an, a tag, what's going to be like fifteen euros or I don't know twenty euros. In several languages, because there's no much not much content, but they didn't consider that a professional, you know, should do it. And sometimes clients don't realize that the person doing the translation, not somebody who knows the language, it's not somebody who, you know, like me, was born in, you know, Spain, France, whatever, and who is bilingual. No, it's it's a professional. It's somebody who has, you know, 
some kind of training, not necessarily a BA in translation. I don't care about that, but you have a training or you have the experience you've done for many years, or you're, you know, you understand what translation is. And that's why you're able to provide a good service. And clients don't realize that. They just think, you know, my, my neighbor is English, you know, and I gave him the contract and he did it. All right, Patrick, final words from you, if you could speak to the minds of everyone in the translation localization industry, what would you tell them? Oh, that's a tough one. Open, uh, <laughs> open, uh, open microphone. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to say something interesting enough for you to, uh, to keep it in the conversation. <laughs> Just whatever you feel like you would say. After, after, oh, I didn't see there's a clock here after an hour and 50 minutes. Um, uh, what would I tell the uh, translation uh, industry? Well, is you know sometimes we're the victims. I mean, I, I think sometimes the translation industry is the victim of its own players. And what do I mean by that? You know, uh, and I've seen it. You know, in my local market. When I mean local market, is you know translation agencies in around uh, the region where where we are, and it's playing with you know who's gonna give the cheaper or the cheapest translation and the cheapest translation, the cheapest translation. And that's, and that's something that, you know, I would, uh, I would love, you know, companies to realize. And then I do know that many companies already realize that, but maybe it's more the smallest, the smaller LSPs or very small LSPs that think, okay, the only way I have to compete is price. So, you know, I have to offer a ridiculous price so that they can accept me and they're going to start working with me. And what, and what this is creating is, uh, uh, is, is a, is a market that, you know, it's not, it's not working because in the end, um, if you are an LSP, you have to pay your translators, right? Uh, obviously. And, uh, and if you don't, you know, uh, pay well, or pay in time, so then your translator is not happy. You're going to give a poor product, and you know, and this is something that's that's not gonna that's not gonna work. So, so I would say, you know, uh, it's about time people start, you know, competing for the right reasons. Uh, let's compete with, you know, uh, quality of service and and not pricing. <laughs>